0: Well, good morning. Um, if there's anyone here who doesn't know me, my name's Morag. I'm part of the Kingdom Vineyard family here. And if you haven't met me before, please do come and say hi. I'd love to meet you. It's my job this morning to bring you the third talk in our Advent series, in which we've already heard from Jim and Jesse. And if you haven't heard their talks, I'd recommend a catch-up via the website or wherever you get your podcasts from. I feel like I'm a BBC presenter when I say that. (laughs) I'm also continuing the theme that has emerged over the last couple of weeks, holding on to hope. This morning, we're going to take a dip into the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah it'd be reasonable to think that at this time of the year, we'd be heading to the promise of the Messiah in Isaiah 9. You might remember it, it starts, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and you have shattered the rod of the oppressor. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, etc., etc. This is the promise of the coming of the Messiah who will dispel the darkness and save us from oppression, with the unexpected twist that this will be achieved to the birth of a baby. But if the people that were listening to Isaiah were shocked that the Messiah would come as a baby, they were going to get even more of a shock in the passage that we're actually going to look at today. We're going to jump ahead in Isaiah to the end of chapter 52 and into chapter 53. This passage forms part of what is known as the Servant Songs, where Isaiah talks about a mysterious character known as the Servant of the Lord, who is a representative of God to his people and to the nations. So let's read together from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, to the end of chapter 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors i have to take a drink after that. That was a big chunk. Back in um, 1990, which well, some of you weren't even born, but for me it feels like it was just yesterday. <laughs> but in, in 1990, my family took a holiday in Austria, which was lovely, but it also concluded with a trip across the border to Germany and the small town of Oberammergau. I'm not sure how many of you all have heard of Oberammergau, but way back in the Middle Ages or time of the bubonic plague, this small town made a promise to God that they would put on a play to celebrate Christ's passion. It promised them to, that the, no, no more people would die of the plague if they kept this promise. So it, the play depicts the events of the week leading up to Jesus's crucifixion. It's an absolutely incredible event and undertaking. And you can ask my mum and dad who are here today, um, if you would like to know more about it. We'd, it was such an inspiring trip. There were many things that stayed with me from that holiday. And I'll share a couple with you this morning. On the bus, on the way back from the play, the atmosphere was quite emotional. People were visibly affected by the play's depiction of Jesus' life. So one of the tour guides asked the bus what we made of the play. And a voice from the back of the bus said, It was all right, but I'd read the book, so I knew the ending. (laughs) The play was also interspersed with what they called living images or tableaus depicting Old Testament scenes with relevance to the passion of Jesus. For instance, like Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac and being provided with the substitute lamb. And another scene, which I can't remember where it came from, but somewhere in the Old Testament where somebody else is betrayed by a kiss these images really stayed with me and made me appreciate much more the links between the Old Testament and the life of Jesus. And to think about the Old Testament with the hindsight of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And as the wit on the bus said, we do have the advantage when it comes to Old Testament prophecies. We've read the rest of the book and we know how it turns out. In relation to today's passage, it might be a fun exercise to see if you can find all the images or prophecies that can be seen to be fulfilled by Jesus. Just by the quick scan that we've had this morning, you might pick out he was pierced for our transgressions, reflected when Jesus' side was pierced, or led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth, reflected in Jesus going willingly to his death and not responding to the charges against him, or that he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, reflected in that Jesus was executed with criminals and laid in Joseph of Arimathea's grave. A more in-depth study will no doubt bring up even more. In fact, we pretty much accept that this passage is a prophecy all about Jesus, that this suffering servant is Jesus and it predicts the kind of death he would face and why he would face it, that he would somehow be an offering a sacrifice given so that we could be made right with God. That our transgressions, our sin, our wrongdoing, would somehow, through his suffering, be dealt with. This is our Savior, our Messiah. We accept that what Jesus came to save us from was our sin the things and the situations that keep us from intimate and right relationships with God. But imagine, imagine looking at this prophecy from the other side, from not knowing how things are going to turn out. Throughout a lot of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, we seem to vacillate between predictions of judgment on God's people And God's promises that he won't forget his people forever and that he has a plan to bring them back to him and also bring nations and indeed the whole world to him. These promises often concern the restoration of what is grandly known as the Davidic monarchy. It just means a new king from David's family that would be raised up to rescue humanity. God's people, the Israelites, were often oppressed by surrounding nations. For instance, when they were in exile in Babylon, as Jesse talked about last week. When Isaiah starts talking about the servant, his hearers would be making the links with other messianic prophecies predicting this new king that would release them from their oppressors and restore their nationhood. If that's what you're expecting, Isaiah 53 makes an uncomfortable read. He was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. That doesn't sound like kingship. Being stricken by God doesn't sound like a rescue plan or a restoration of fortunes. But Isaiah's not here to sugarcoat things for his listeners. He is here to lay out what a true rescue plan looks like. Last week we heard about Jeremiah's warning about false prophets and only listening to people who are telling us that everything is going to be fine. Isaiah and Jeremiah knew that it wasn't true. Isaiah uh, prophesied the exile as a punishment for God's people if they didn't change their ways and he did that about a hundred years before it actually happened. Jeremiah knew that it wasn't going to be a quick fix and that the exile would last for generations and yet in these passages we find reasons to hold on to hope there was a couple of things that Jim and Jesse said in their talks that have stuck with me over the week and really impacted on my reading and understanding of the passage from Isaiah. Jim misquoted C.S. Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) Deliberately so. Uh, It was always Christmas, but never Advent. Sort of meaning that, that we have a tendency to pretend that everything is fine without acknowledging that things might be tough. That there are things that we are waiting for and promises unfulfilled. And I think there are people probably in this room who can relate to this misquote even more directly in relation to this time of the year. The forced merriment of Christmas can grate. We can feel compelled to put on a face and pretend that everything is fine when really it's not. I would encourage you, as Jim did, to use this time of Advent to acknowledge the reality of your situation and allow God to meet you there in the waiting, in the pain, and allow Him to lead you to Christmas and somehow to truly celebrate the God with us, the Emmanuel, which began with the birth of Jesus. And the quote from Jesse last week that totally stuck with me was that hope, if not based on reality, is wishful thinking. Hope looks beyond circumstances but doesn't deny them. Hope believes that things will get better because the God of the past will bring us into the future. Jeremiah reminded the exiles to trust in the God that led them out of Egypt, that walked with them in the wilderness and dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem. And that despite how things were looking, he hadn't abandoned them and he had plans for them. So with those thoughts in mind, can I take you back to our passage again? Those verses in chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought his peace, that brought us peace, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We mostly think of this verse in relation to Jesus becoming the substitute to receive the punishment we deserve. And through his willing death, the ushering in of the kingdom. But in the light of holding on to hope in Advent, I read into this verse that we have a God who experienced suffering. He experienced pain to bring us peace. We often quote, by his wounds we are healed as we pray for physical healing. And rightly so, I believe that the power for physical healing comes through that sacrifice of Jesus. But I also believe that there is even more in it than that. By his wounds, we are healed from disappointments. By his wounds, we are healed from crappy situations. (laughs) By his wounds, we are healed from wondering where God is in our pain. Because he's right there with us. In this passage, we see our God in human likeness, with no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, just an ordinary bloke. He knew rejection, knew sorrow, and was familiar with suffering. He was oppressed and afflicted, but suffered in silence. He was killed even though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth, wrongly accused with no recourse to justice. If you ever want to shout, it's not fair, Jesus can respond, yeah, I get that. I want you to understand how incredible that is. In Isaiah's time, the nation's roundabout would have worshipped a pantheon of gods. To somehow please or gain favour of those gods, there would be rituals and sacrifices. Access to the god would be limited and totally dependent on the acceptability of those rituals and sacrifices. But we have a god who put on flesh and experienced our life with all its joys and sorrows. We don't have to figure out how to get to him. He came to us. Next week is Christmas Eve, and as we've heard, there's gonna be a family service, reminder, at the Cosmos Center, where Jim and friends will dive into the wonderful and wacky story That is how our God came as a baby. But uh, I, for one, have so appreciated these last three weeks sitting in the reality of disappointments, messy and painful situations without giving in to despair, but holding on to hope. We've gone from Genesis 3, where the servant will strike his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head, to Revelation 21 and 22, with the new heaven and the new earth and the permanent presence of God with us. From Jeremiah predicting the exile to last for generations, to the promise of shalom peace in the midst of it. Today, we looked at a confusing messianic prophecy where the servant of the Lord suffers pain and rejection to the promise that by his wounds, we are healed. We have a God who experienced rejection, pain, and suffering physically and emotionally. And because we know that Jesus experienced all that and is right here with us, We can have hope. If you're able, would you stand and I'll pray for us? Thank you, Lord, that you are not a distant God that you came down to be in the midst of the mess. And I pray for whatever situations we find ourselves in, Lord Jesus, would you come alongside and walk with us and walk us through them. We just thank you for Emmanuel, God with us.